Hey there. Thanks for joining me on Comedy Masterclass, where I interview creators about the craft of writing comedy. Today, I am thrilled to have Ben and Chris Blaine with me, otherwise known as the Blaine Brothers. So they are fabulous filmmakers with tons of expertise in directing comedy, which I'm very excited to dig into. Um, But before we dive in, is there anything else that we should know about you and your work and connections to comedy? Um... I don't think so, particularly Chris. What do you think? Kind of, we 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 make more than comedy. I suppose yeah. is sort of the first thing to flag yeah. that. Kind of, we started out, um, yeah, we started out being silly, and I think that we do have a kind of natural tendency, particularly kind of, we make each other laugh, and we are quite silly. Um, so that is often I think that's always there in our work, but um, one of the problems actually that we sort of had over the years we started out making short films and um i don't know if you've ever been to a short film screening mm. um but yeah they're painful aren't they <laughs> um and mm. so after kind of you know sitting through a couple of these where you sort of go for kind of an hour and you sort of they sort of squat they you, know, you don't do this to normal films you don't sort of you know force mm. people to watch seven films on a trot but because they're only kind of 10 minutes it's all kind of like cramming them all together but they're all really intense and mm. so you'd sit there watching kind of like uh, you know a film about how awful war is followed by a film about child abuse followed by a film about how awful racism is and it would just be really kind of like oh god this is i just can't breathe and so we always liked then kind of popping up with something that was silly um and often we would use our silliness to hide you know deeper significant uh, powerful meanings and sometimes we'd just be silly um but um yeah we very much started out enjoying giving the audience a breather from trauma mm. um and then when we were doing longer stuff we wanted to give people trauma <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah fair yeah but yeah so yeah and we found kind of like you know at the same time as doing the shorts we were writing mm. thing you know it's like we we often struggled i think to kind of really do justice to the big kind of messy, more serious thoughts that we had in five minutes. And I think we watched a lot of short films that equally struggled to do justice to those themes in the space that they allowed themselves. Yeah, and um, a short is great for jokes. You know, you're going, yeah. set up, mm-hmm. pay off. You're like, yeah, that's that's a wonderful thing to do in a, in a short space of time. So we've always really enjoyed doing that. Fabulous. And at what point did directing come into your careers? Was it right from the beginning with the shorts? Or, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, what, and what do you think people underestimate about directing, particularly comedy? Ooh, um, <clears throat> I think directing is the, the, the bit that everybody understands exists in, mm. in yeah. making films and most other jobs people don't really know they exist so you know like you spend most of your time going actually there's a car there's carpenters over there there's actually there's electricians a lot of electricians they get paid better than us actually and do less hours because they're unionized and you know yeah but it's, it's rare that you sort of fall in love with going to the cinema and sit there being kind of like i love this movie i am definitely gonna be a key grip that mm. is me that is me a key grip until you, you know. meet phil and then phil he just loves pushing people up and down. He abs- and he's a master. That's an at absolute it. master at it, exactly. And yeah, so you're kind of like, in terms of when you start out, we started out, I'd bought a camera, I wanted to do animation, and Ben had written a script with his mate Keith and was like, do you want to make this over the summer with us? And um, 
I did because animation takes ages and um <laughs> so we, we, we shot a thing and um yeah and you kind of like you when you're making it all yourself you just think all right well then I'm a filmmaker I guess we kind of always think of ourselves more as filmmakers than directors mm. necessarily because we write we direct we edit I do lots of VFX Ben does lots of sound um you know I love coloring in in at the end um and yeah everything in between so you're kind of um yeah it, it the first point of call I think for most people is director mm. and then like a lot of what we had to learn was in terms of what the other jobs were and um yeah what you're supposed to ask them to do because uh, you don't know from the outside yeah and I think also again we very much come from a kind of as Chris says like a, as a filmmaker background and so directing is part of our process in terms of making a film Hmm. And that is actually quite, a, 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 there's a difference in that to them being a director on someone else's project and the role, the subtle role of actually just, just being director and what you're actually there as the conductor of all of these elements. But when it's not your thing to make, you know, you're not the kind of like the the final creative say-so on it. Hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, it took us a long time to kind of, yeah, to kind of really see that magic of of being in control, but also out of control, but also surprised by what is happening around you in a good way. You know, it's kind of by 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 you know the people that you're working with answering the answering not in exactly the way that you wanted, but in a way that's better. That that I think kind of is probably the thing that took us longest to kind of get round to understanding as directors, isn't it? Yeah, and enjoying. Yeah, you know, but it's actually it's the most enjoyable part of the whole process is having everyone shipping in and making the ideas better and coming up with stuff that no one had thought of before and that expresses the idea better and funnier and you know, yeah, it's that's um definitely the bit that is kind of why you want to keep doing it really. Yeah, especially when that's happening live in the moment, you know, mm. so which is often the hardest thing about it but the most exciting thing about it is that it's not often a kind of a um convenient process you know it's not a thing where kind of you gather all the actors and heads of department around the table and you sit down and you discuss how a scene's going to work out and everyone goes away and thinks about it and then they kind of you know come back with their ideas like that's that's not how it is you know it's always a, a chaos of people having inspirations mm. and or and frustrations you know people going i can't do this i don't know what this this doesn't work for me i nah, can't say it don't like this what is it yeah and it's sort of when you kind of work through that and suddenly in the moment it comes together and you find the thing that does work and you find the other way through that that's yeah that's when it's really exciting yeah and that's the common misconception i think as well that ben's picked up on in terms of directing is that sense of everybody knows a director as a filmmaker and they know it from films and that's, oh yeah, this person is the, you know, the auteur is the only person that counts and everyone has to do exactly what they say. And then, you know, you get into television and you're kind of like, no, you're the writer is the more important one than you. And then you get into commercials and you're like, 
I mean, why are we here? I'm, I'm not quite sure. Um, so, you know, you're kind of like, you, you think that you've got ultimate control and you're walking into a lot of jobs thinking, well, that's what you're going to do. But in reality, you are there to help shepherd other people's ideas. And, you know, that's actually is the most enjoyable part of it. So, you know, it's... Um, yeah. yeah. And that's actually the same in film as well. Like film, I think film still... Um, has more gives more space to directors and more credence to directors um but if you're doing it right it's this you're still letting other people in you know it's kind of like if you can't do that it's not going to be as good that's brilliant there's so much to think about there and um one of the high profile projects that you've been involved with is sarah pasco's out of her mind a series for bbc2 and also sony tv and although we do like are familiar, most people will be familiar with the term director. Actually, I think from the outside, the process is quite opaque with regards to how people actually get asked to do projects and attached to projects. And I'm sure it's different for different things. But for using that as an example, how did you go from whatever you were doing prior to that to actually then being involved with that project? What was that process like? It's just entirely down to our shining brilliance. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah so before out of her mind we'd just made um our feature film nina forever um and so we were in quite a different headspace at that point but we've known sarah for years in fact um sarah's first um on-screen job i think actually i think her first on-screen appearance is in the back of um a take that interview uh when she's about 14 um, uh, but then her first kind of like acting thing was with us in a short film that we made with Film 4 um, called Hello Panda, where uh, idiots that we are, we gave her a non-speaking part. Um, she was still very funny in it, but yeah, you know, looking back, you go, we could have written her up a bit more. They could have, we could have given that genius a bit more uh, scope to run with. But yeah, so we've known her for years. Um, and she came to us. She, she Initially, she was commissioned... Um, uh, for a comedy short, which was very much kind of like done with the view of, you know, selecting scripts that to do a kind of like 15, 20 minute pilot with an eye to turning them into a series. Um, and she came to us with her one and said, you know, let's do this together. Um, and I think she wanted, she wanted people with a film background, you know, she wanted people, um, with an avant-garde background um you know our work is not that conventional um and i think she also um there had been plenty of people whom she'd who she had known who had been given similar opportunities and in that situation had been paired up with kind of more established tv names and those people weren't necessarily happy with the outcome. Um, and that sense of, which TV can feel like, of kind of dropping into a sausage factory, you know, mm. kind of like this, particularly as, a, you know, like I think as a stand-up, even more so than as a um, avant-garde uh, independent filmmaker, um, you kind of like, you know, as a stand-up, it's just you, you know, it's kind of like there's no one else that you have to answer to, you know, and it's kind of like that's very lonely, but it's also very freeing. And I think for anybody moving from that space where you've spent years um, 
in complete control of your work. You know, it's just you in direct communication with the audience. Moving to television is an incredible shift. And it's mm. incredibly hard because suddenly you absolutely do have to let all these other voices into the mix. And, you know, that alone, I think, is a big step up. And then everyone comes to that process with their own agendas and egos and ambitions, you know. And I think that Sarah was very aware that, you know, creatively we matched, but also she trusted us that we wouldn't come to this project and kind of go, well, what do we get out of it? How do we make this feel like us so that we can move on and do the next thing that's us? Like, how do we use Sarah for our benefit that, you know, she knew that because we're idiots, our only interest was kind of following where she was going creatively and having fun with it, you know, so. Wonderful. And this is not an easy question, but given if Sarah is a, a stand-up and, and has, you know, that live response and is used to that and have been filmed and you're also having the experience of what's live on set, how do you, like, do you have any checks and balances that you find really useful for calibrating for the viewer? And the reason that I ask this, and I don't think it's an easy question at all, is I feel like I'm so much more willing to laugh in real life. I laugh at so much stuff that my friends do and like messing around, but the bar's quite low and I'll find it really funny. <laughs> and then something weird happens as soon as it's on a screen where I don't mean to be mean, but just like my um, tolerance or how I engage with it, like the bar just goes way up. So I always wonder about that from behind the scenes of how you do it because I feel like if I was making something with my friends or people that I knew I would be so much more willing to laugh in the room than uh, I would as a viewer so I'm just curious yeah yeah I mean wow that's a huge question I mean I know. our kind of preferred working method as filmmakers does is very audience focused and always has been in different ways um and we um oh, maybe I'll get onto the mobile cinema at another point um but when we like when we made our feature film Nina Forever, um, we kind of initially kind of like thought, well, we'll have it like a you know we got to a cut that we were happy with, um, and we thought, well, we'll have a test screening just to kind mm. of like you know check that we're the geniuses that we know that we are, um, and it was it was a complete disaster, mm. um, and it was except it wasn't a disaster. It was the best thing that happened to us because we sat there in the room and. The incredible thing about watching something, watching your own work with an audience, is that you can't help but see it through their eyes and feel it through their emotions. And, you know, this was a, you know, a film that by this point we'd spent, you know, what, a year, 18 months kind of like playing with and working with. And we knew every frame of it backwards. And then suddenly we were in this room and we were like, what is this? Like Chris turned to me kind of afterwards and was kind of like, I didn't know when it was going to end. I didn't know what, like, and it was so revelatory because it was so useful because it was kind of like, like, you know, the audience say things to you afterwards, like, kind of like, oh, it's beautifully shot. Um, you know, have you thought of cutting it in half? Um, and it doesn't really matter what they say because you just have this really kind of visceral feeling of kind of like, okay, that doesn't work. That did work. That got me. That I hated. Get rid, get rid, change this. And we actually ended up doing, what was it, four screenings, five screenings? Um, and by the last screening, you, the the energy in the room carried us all the way through to the 
blackout after the last frame and the credits and you were like that's the film like mm. now like and you could feel the excitement and yeah it was it was brilliant but it, and it came through shaping it with the audience so that has become that was such a kind of learning experience for us that that has absolutely become kind of our ideal way of working um and that was something that we kind of um wanted to do um without her mind um it's very hard to do things like that in television anyway uh, and then in and the middle of uh, lockdown in pandemic times <laughs> it was weirdly hard to get lots of people in a room Gen- genuinely illegal <laughs> <laughs> so yeah sadly that wasn't a process that we got to go through and i think you know like we were in tv we would have had to have fought tooth and nail to get that kind of um audience access anyway um so without that you then kind of fall back on the next audience that you have which is um you know the audience the people that you're working with you know like you know Goz the producer and Sarah herself who you know again kind of like we were very kind of closely involved in the edit on a day-to-day basis and then Sarah would have distance and you know come in and watch it and go what the fuck have you done um please go back to how I wrote it don't don't make those changes um and then we discuss that you know and um you know find a find a happy medium um but yeah so that was kind of the audience the audience that we ended up sort of you know relying on which is the more normal process i think of kind of like you know the audience of the people that you're working with yeah but when when you're on set um you've obviously got the crew to start yeah. off with you've got us you know they genuinely will be laughing at the stuff that we find funny um yeah. and you know the takes that you love the most are the ones where people are having to stop themselves from laughing mm. during the take um so you know that side of it can be really enjoyable like there's definitely a thing that we're still wrestling with a little bit in terms of crew shows or uh, a thing where basically you you rehearse the scene with the actors before um you're going to shoot anything so you work that out and you've worked out where you're going to probably be placing the camera um with the dop they might have been there as well watching it um and then you bring in the entire crew and they all watch uh, it one go round. And on the one hand, that's lovely. And it means everybody knows exactly what's happening and exactly what is, you know, going on. But sometimes you're sat there going like, yeah, but you've just done the comedy genius now mm. and we haven't filmed it. Mm. We've Everybody's, you know, had the camera turned off whilst they're really enjoying the, the magical thing that you've done that you won't ever quite do exactly the same again um, in future takes. And we'll always be sat there going like, ah, oh, if only we had the camera rolling. Like I remember when we made Hello Panda, the short that Sarah was in yeah. the background of. Steve would come up with ideas on the rehearsal and follow them through and you'd be like, yeah, that brilliant, do that. And then he'd never be able to, to nail it again. Um, and uh, yeah, Adrian Edmondson, likewise, he loves an audience and yeah. absolutely. Response plays so well. To yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, you'd be sat there going, okay, this is, this is just wonderful watching him do it. And sometimes it was like, yeah, I just wish we could just do that straight on camera. And then Clint Eastwood style be like, yeah, we're moving on. We've already done it. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, because, yeah, he's, you know, just... And to be fair, in that other mind, there are a couple like that where we did just move straight on because we were so pressed for time that we had no alternative. Um, mm. But um, the other thing about it is also the difference in editing, which was mm. something that um, definitely holds... I mean, I think it's interesting that we went from um, comedy into making what turned out to be a horror movie um, that we didn't expect that at the time. But I think there's a shared kind of um, tension 
mm. in the audience that you want to create with both. And um, again, there's a very definite thing of um, often the, a take will be amazing in the room. And even then when you watch it back, that take is brilliant. And then you start editing it and you start cutting it in the way you expect. And you watch it back and you're like, oh, why is this not? This was magical a moment ago and now I've worked on it. I've, oh, I've killed it. That's what's happened. I have come in here and I have ruined it. And there's something about that tension of um, what happens in a take. And sometimes when you look at a scene, you go, no, 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 okay, this is this is great. It's kind of like the individual bits of this weren't hysterically funny, but we can glue that together. And the timing of the edit will make that become much, much funnier than um, it felt like at the moment. And then other things you go kind of like, no, this we can't cut. We don't want to be cutting this. And I think we've got, again, much better at sensing those moments of kind of like, okay, this is, we don't want to give ourselves any chance to cut this like this we're going to shoot in one take and it has to be one take and this is how it's going to be and that is actually going to be intrinsic to kind of creating the the comedy in it yeah when you're sitting in the edit different producers that you're working with have different ideas of how to you know um know that the thing is still funny by the time you're getting towards the end um so there's a wonderful producer that we work with called um spencer millman who genuinely laughs at the jokes that he finds funny as if it's the first time he has heard it even though it's like he cannot help himself it is is such an astonishing gift for a comedy Mm. producer every time this thing he found it funny when he thought of it he's now seen it 64 6,000 times every time you go every it's still funny and it is such because it's so easy to lose that like mm. normal people lose that and he is such it's so wonderful to have him in the edit and you go kind of like okay that's still fine yeah. that's still fine we haven't killed that whereas on the other end of the scale we were editors on a on a on one particular show with a um a producer who basically definitely got to the point where it's like okay well i've seen this too many times i don't know whether it's funny or not, what we should do is we'll watch it through one more time. And every time that there's something that I think people will laugh at, I will say, laugh. Oh, no. <laughs> and we'll count them up. And literally, mm. we watched it entirely stony-faced. with him <laughs> 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 Laugh. Um. Laugh. Laugh. <laughs> and it was and a again, good half hour. To be, to be fair, to be fair. It was funny. Was the- it was funny and it was a huge hit. Yeah. So, you know, like uh, everyone has their method, you know. Oh, my goodness. I love it. And what do you think are some of the benefits or challenges of working uh, as a pair? Uh, well, no one wants to pay you two wages. Mm. That's, that's, a definite, about that. that's yeah. a definite downside. Yeah. So, yeah, normally we manage to, when it's. Um, as editing is actually a bit easier because editors normally come mm. kind of mob handed anyway. So we usually kind of go, well, look, pay us an editor rate and a assistant editor rate and we'll kind of sort it out between us. Um, but yeah, with directing it, we've sort of usually had to kind of, yeah, we individually, we take less money than everyone else in the industry does, but you know, it's all right. Yeah. But the benefit is actually as much that thing of the thing that's most enjoyable, which is, always having somebody else's input and always trying to help Mm. them do that thing better so most of the thing that we enjoy most is with loads of other people doing that but it's come born of the fact that we always used to you know we've always done that with each other like um and and when you're sharing the job title like there's no you sort of have to do it you know it's like if you're both 
there, you know, with people looking at you and it's kind of like, oh, you're both directing and one of you has an idea. The other one can't go, mm. no, I'm the director. We're not doing that. So, yeah, well, he's also the director. So, you know, we have to at least open that idea up and explore what's good about it and what's terrible about it. And once you get into that habit, you sort of, as Chris says, you then, you know, that then becomes much easier to do with everyone else's ideas. And I think that can, again, I should, you know, like often we've worked with producers who actually are a bit challenged by the fact that either they're used to their ideas being accepted or rejected. And rather than that, we kind of naturally go, I like this bit of it, or, or I don't understand, explain it more, you know, like get involved in, you know, roll your hand, roll your sleeves up and get dirty in this process. It's kind of like, let's try this in the edit. How does this work? And some absolutely adore that. And some, it takes a while because they, I think they're just so used to kind of like, no, I've given you my note. I'm, I'm leaving now. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, it's, yeah, but it's more fun when you get involved. Sorry, Chris, I interrupted you. No, not at all. Um, yeah, the bit that I always enjoy is whenever we're watching an edit and Ben's cutting the stuff that you're like, why have you used these takes? This doesn't make <laughs> any sense whatsoever. And every single time Ben goes like, oh, it's that bit, it's that bit, and just in the frame over there. And I'm like, I never looked at that. No one will ever look at that. Uh, and then you go, well, okay, how do I actually make it so that everyone's going to look at that, the bit that he's definitely pointing mm. out that you go, that's going to make that really funny. That's going to make that really amazing. And then it's just a, a wonderful journey to figure out how to get people's eyes where he wants them to be um and yeah i i I love doing that you know and it's kind of i'm I'm something of an imperfectionist it's kind of like there's the things that we know that we want and then something will go wrong and it's kind of like oh that's what i want now yeah i want i want the bit that went wrong chris can we have the bit that went wrong how do we how do we keep the (laughs) how do we keep the mistakes in yeah i mean editing in large part is is uh the best edits always feel like you intended them and yeah. in most cases you never did and you're kind of like, there's, the, there's the plan that you had but there's the thing that has come out at, and the thing that it comes out at as long as it feels like yeah i did mean to do that in the first place even though you know i have cut out 75 percent of the lines and the ones that are there are all in a completely different order as long as it feels like yeah no that's exactly what we meant then great it works you know and you feel like you're in capable hands when you're watching something like that um so yeah trying to figure out how to make those mistakes feel intended is um is great yeah i think that very much is one of the strengths of our kind of very kind of rogue background making random shit um because you know we're very used to kind of um uh scrapping our way through a shoot you know because we've got you know we've got no time and no money and so you kind of make that kind of creates two kind of there are two essentials to working in that way. One is that you have to plan everything down to the last possible kind of like, right, this, 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 this is what we need. Why do we need it? This is why we need that. If we don't get it, this is, you know, like you've got to be completely focused. And then when all of that nevertheless goes wrong anyway, you then have to kind of get really good at embracing the mistakes and not being scared of mistakes and not being thrown by them and not being kind of like, oh, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It's all ruined. And kind of like the more that we've kind of, you know, when you start out and you're kind of, you know, you're just working with your mates, that feels like the limitation of working with your mates. And then, you know, as you get so further down the line and you go kind of like, oh, actually, no matter how much budget you get given, it's it's always less than you actually need to do the thing that people are asking you to do. 
And you are always in the situation where it's kind of like, oh, here are all the vans, here's all the everything, but still we actually need to get this shot in the next 20 minutes and it really we need two hours. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> even, even Titanic, you know, the ship wasn't a full-size Titanic. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't allowed that. No. That's perfect. And how do you, what have you developed to stop you from bringing that sense of pressure in in a way that's not helpful because for example the trailer for out of her mind like really takes its time in terms of um the shot and like and the way that the tension's filled so I'm just trying to think how do you are there things that you have to do purposefully or is it just that you're so seasoned now that you know how to keep that time rush and pressure out of the places where it shouldn't be yeah I mean I think a lot of that is um I think a lot of that actually is our glee. You know, mm. I think that that kind of on set, we have a very clear enjoyment of <laughs> those things. And it's very clear kind of, you know, okay, this is like everything gets pressured. You know, everything is kind of like, can we do this quicker? Can we not bother with this? And I think kind of our delight in, you know, like that, you know that bit that you're talking about is kind of like our delight in extending jokes and kind mm. of dragging things out so it's painful mm. i think that kind of communicates to everyone else and then they know kind of like okay this is the fun bit let's not ruin this yeah i absolutely um, love not calling cut yeah oh do you it's, it's the best <laughs> bit it's the best bit where you're just like okay we're just going to yeah. keep that going and sometimes people come up with genius bits at the end after you know the scene's meant to have ended a lot of the time they do eventually turn to you and just like what the hell are you doing um but you're kind of like you know yeah you it, it helps if you are yeah you're trying to be a bit playful rather than you know smack bang okay just keep moving yeah i think that, i think i think one of the key relationships to making that work is actually with the first ad and mm -hmm. i think that that was kind of um uh one of the sort of key learning moments earlier on in our career was kind of not really knowing what a first ad was and then meeting and working with kind of, uh, yeah, standard TV first ADs who, uh, you know, are, are some of the worst people on earth. Um, and who, you know, like, because, because like, it's, it, it always, I always, I always makes me laugh that the term is assistant director, because mm. if you get the wrong first AD who is not in sync with you as a director, then they are not your assistant. They are your worst enemy and they are your biggest creative obstacle. Um, and they seem to be there purely sort of on the producer's behest to spoil everything and stop you having fun and stop you getting the thing that you wanted. And it's this process of going kind of like, have, we, have they said the words? Was the camera rolling at that time? Brilliant, move on, because we've got to crack through this so quickly. And then when you kind of either meet the first AD who you kind of really connect with and who understands you or kind of sometimes you have to go through that process, you know, and it's, you have to really kind of fight those battles and, you know, come together as, as a team and go kind of like, you know, and work through it kind of like, look and, and explain like, this is, this is what we're after. This is the thing that we really are trying to get hold of. So, don't stamp on that. You can stamp on, you know, here are the things that you can hurry us up on. Here are the things that are indulgent and call us on those things. But this, this element 
is what this show is. So don't cancel that. And it's kind of like, if you can actually have those conversations constructively and, you know, not calling them the worst people in the world, you know, things like that, um, then you end up kind of building that kind of relationship that you need. And then they do become your assistant and they become your ally and they become kind of, you know, that person who is there kind of going, okay, I know that this tech's going to run and run and run and don't spoil it, you know, and they kind of, you know, get in on the joke. But that's not, I don't think that's anyone's first instinct, you know. Um. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And when you think of, um, like, it sounds like you've done so much that you figured out yourselves and really practically and from like a really early stage in your career, um, which is wonderful that you've used words like rogue and it sounds like you've got this lovely gleeful way of working. So when you think about like outward sources that have contributed to that, that aren't from within the pair of you, what kind of comedy creators or trainings or professionals or people do you think have influenced you in helpful ways, particularly when it comes to comedy? Um, influence, influence us in helpful ways is interesting. I can think of people who've influenced us in unhelpful ways. Yeah, you can do that as well. I just don't know. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't name check them. But <laughs> No, I mean, I suppose it's because like, I think we're quite like, you know, like um, we both, uh, have a, a love of, of Terry Gillingham and I think that he's a really mm. bad influence in that sense because it's kind of like he absolutely just makes hell for himself mm. and sometimes gets away with it and that's just the worst lesson that you can ever learn like the worst thing you can do is to watch something like The Hamster Factor that making your documentary behind, the, behind 12 Monkeys and just be kind of like oh wow that looks that looks really chaotic really difficult and really good fun let's try and work in that way because it's just not good lessons to learn you know it's like similarly we um just before like six months i guess before we um shot our feature film nina forever we watched um and this is not a comedy (laughs) it is for us but yeah we watched we watched once upon um, a time in anatolia which is an amazing a sublime sublime difficult long film when you're watching it you're just basically like oh my god this is gonna go on forever what is this about (laughs) and then it does and like there's this incredible sequence in it where the main character it's set set in turkey and the main character is this kind of like a you know crumbling detective guy and um this kind of petty criminal has come to him and says that he knows where there's a body and basically the first kind of two hours of the movie is him driving around um, Turkey at night, tra- looking for this body that no one is sure is even there. And there's a, it's kind of like it's, it's already gone on for about an hour at this point. And he gets out of the car, and the like, the spot that the headlights of the car are over here, and they're kind of like everyone's looking in this direction. And the camera like leaves them, and the camera finds um, an apple tree, and an apple falls off the tree into a stream. And the camera follows this apple down the stream, and it goes, and it goes. Go some more, and then it gets stuck. It gets stuck in the water for a <laughs> oh, moment, no. and you're like, "Oh!" And then it moves, and then it goes some more, and then it goes out of the frame, and it ends, and it means absolutely fucking nothing. And you're sat there <laughs> all the way through this shot, being kind of like, "Oh, yeah. oh, they're going to find the body. It's going to be the yeah, 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 no, what, what?" And it, it absolutely the kind of the the kind of the gleeful stubbornness of that sort of filmmaking absolutely entranced and delighted us. And we very stupidly 
um, attempted to copy that um, when we made our first feature film. And that is why the first cut of that movie was over three hours and the final cut is 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of takes that we let run and run and run. And it was a good lesson because it's kind of like sometimes that is really powerful for comedy. Mm. Sometimes that's really powerful for drama. Sometimes it's vacuous and empty. You know, it's mm. good to learn these lessons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, in terms of very long performance, still one of my main regrets in our editing career is um, <laughs> Kevin Eldon in a, a show called uh, The Bleak Old Shop of Stuff um, and uh, another waterside uh, scene, this one, um, where <laughs> somebody has fallen into the docks and he runs up to the docks and starts shouting, no! And he, Kevin Eldon can do, um, you know, recycling his, his breath. So oh, cycling really? breathing, yeah. That, yeah, yeah cycling breathing. And, and literally that goes on for, I think it was, no word of a lie, two minutes long. Yeah, and it was amazing, incredibly funny because you know it starts out and you're like, okay, that's really funny, and then it stops being funny, and it, then mm. it's still going, and then it gets funny again, and then it stops being funny, and then it gets even funnier because it's still bloody going. And um, it was meant to be the last shot of the show, and you're kind of like, well, obviously, for a half hour show to so just be two minutes <laughs> on something that's literally meant to be just uh, you know a five mm. second shot, if that um, was impossible for us to be able to put into the edit which was always such a shame because yeah. genuinely genuinely the funniest thing and again classically you know as soon as we started kind of cutting that and making it you know cut to this shot and cut to this shot it just wasn't funny you know it's kind of mm. like run that across three shots and it's long it's just long you know mm. it's like it, it's only when it's the single shot for two minutes mm. that's when it becomes hysterically funny it's kind of anything else is just suddenly indulgent yeah yeah and on the comedy front we've always loved working with a director called ben gosling fuller uh, as editors yeah. who um has a really great knack for doing really interesting blocking in in a really short space of time with the actors you know like um we did a series with him called marley's ghosts where some of the stuff that he came up with on the fly was just like oh wow that's that was really impressive just to see and you're kind of like you know as an editor you're sat there going like well i don't need to edit anything because you've done it all in camera and yeah it's always beautiful to to see when you're able to do that and it's not just about oh we've got to move the camera and the camera's doing something you know special it's actually like no it's about getting the actors where you want them to be so that it all becomes different shot sizes all in one go um and that's definitely something that we've always tried to be getting better at we're ourselves more and more. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, again, with bleak old shop of stuff, I tried to find a short way of saying that and failed completely. Um, yeah, that was him and um, produced by um, Gareth Edwards, wasn't it? Yeah. And again, that was a real kind of comedy masterclass working with those two as editors and kind of like, you know, so sort of coming into that as an editor, feeling very kind of like, oh, you know, this is how I want to cut this scene. And then Gareth would very kind of calmly and patiently just kind of go, no. Cut here, cut here, show that, show that. Then it's funny. You'd be kind of like, fucking mm. oh, yeah, that's yeah, that's that's how that's funny. I see. Yeah, a lot, and, a lot of the time, the the comedy edit is one where you're not allowed to cut before the end of the line. You, you mm. know, you have to wait until somebody has said it, and then you go to the reaction because then it's going to be funny. Whereas if you go to the reaction before the things finished being said, that's a that's drama. Yeah, that's a drama cut. Um, mm. That was one of Gareth's, um, yeah, big lessons for us. Yeah. Fascinating. Oh, I've only got time for one more question before we wrap up. So I'd love to know, you 
talked in terms of your process about like planning massively and then also just having to improvise and create massively because it doesn't work out as planned. So when you look at the rest of, we're in 2023 now, so the rest of 2023, 2024, moving on and you think about what you want to do next, how much sort of how much are you able to plan and control projects versus <laughs> versus not an easy question versus do your ideal projects versus what sees what comes in like what's that blend looking like for you right now it's exactly the same you know mm. you have no choice but to plan like you can't mm. help but plan you know you'd be stupid not to plan but yeah you know and then and then you hand those plans up to up to a god I don't believe in, and God goes, "Well, you don't believe in me, do you?" So screw you, mate. <laughs> and then and then somebody else phones you up and says, "You know, do you want to do this?" And you're like, mm. "Yeah, right." Um, yeah, so yeah, please. Um, you know, yeah, we 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 just love making stuff and with all sorts of different people and in all sorts of different ways. So you know, we're just really keen to be making as much stuff as possible. Really, um, yeah. Again, you know, we started out you know, as we said, kind of as filmmakers and, you know, between us, we would come up with an idea and then we would go and make it and it would very much be our thing. And I think it's really, it's really nice to be at a stage now where kind of the projects that we're working on, you know, some of them are that still, you know, we have scripts that, you know, we've kind of poured poured sweat and blood and tears into and are very proud of, and they feel kind of, you know, good to go, depending if there's an industry to make them. Um, And, you know, and then kind of like we're sort of picking up, you know, sort of jumping on board other people's projects, you know, and that can be coming on board as direct, you know, finding a script that we love and kind of going, well, we'd love to help you make that better and then direct it, Um, you know, or kind of, yeah, or, you know, finding directors that we think would be good for our work, you know, and then, and also, you know, just working in all the other things, you know, doing editing, doing um, VFX in Chris's case, you know, it's like, we just like making stuff really, you know. Wonderful. And where should people go to find out more about you and your work? Uh, well, the simplest place is mm. blamebrothers.com. That's right, isn't it? No, man. Blamebrothers.co.uk. Blamebrothers.com. You will go and it's the trucks. It's the trucks. We're going to a haulage company in Minnesota. That's not actually us. We're not definitely where you should go to the Blame Brothers. For all of your Minnesotan haulage needs. Yeah, uh, blamebrothers.co.uk. That's us. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. And I'll put that in the show notes to direct people to you, not the haulage. Awesome. Definitely. Thanks so much for your time, both of you. Hey, thank you. Pleasure. Thank you.